you have grown up in church or spent any length of time in church, there's a good chance that you have heard this phrase at some point in your journey. You should be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, you can fill in the blanks for most of you. And the, depending on which church you grew up in, uh, that can mean all kinds of things, right? Uh, for some church, we don't go to movies, we don't play cards, we don't do this, we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date the girls who do, which is good advice, write that down, okay? So, so but if we're honest, here's what else we also know, for those who've been in church for a little while, that trying to live out that truth of being in the world but not of the world can get pretty weird for Christians, if we're honest, right? We have all these weird things we do, and it's not attractive to the world, but when properly understood and applied, here's what that saying means. There is a real tension uh, for every single Christian, they have to manage. The, the tension is this, is that in the practical sense, we're living out our lives, our faith, in a real world, in a real culture, uh, as, as citizens of the earth. However, the spiritual reality is that as we do that, uh, we're also not called to embrace the values of a godless culture. So here we are, living in the midst of a culture, and trying to live in such a way that we're not embracing the values of that culture that will be contrary to the things that God values. And the reason that we should not do that is because here's what else the Bible teaches. That ultimately, our citizenship, if we're followers of Christ, is in heaven. Now, if someone came up to you today and said, hey, you've got a new outfit on. You said, yes. You know, finally, someone noticed. And they said, you know what you look like? You look like a pilgrim. Or you look like an alien. Would you be incredibly encouraged by that? My guess is probably not. But here's what's interesting. The Bible actually uses those two terms to describe Christians. It says as followers of Christ, uh, then we are aliens and strangers because heaven is our true home. The Bible describes us as pilgrims just passing through until we get to our true home, which is in heaven. So the tension is we're living real lives in the real world, but we cannot attach ourselves to all that it offers. And so one of the ways that citizens of heaven would live differently uh, than those who are just citizens of earth, who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, is in the manner with which we seek wisdom. And so turn with me to James chapter 3 as we continue our series in the book of James entitled, Two Ways to Live. One of our pastors on our sermon meeting this week said, hey, I think we should uh, title this, I Pity the Fool. And if you don't understand that reference, you're not going to heaven, all right? Uh, we've been teaching that this series, uh, in the series of the book of James is really a series of tests about the genuineness of our salvation. And so today, he's going to test on where a true follower of Jesus Christ goes to wisdom. And let me share this with you uh, this morning. This is where the rubber really meets the road. If you're here and you uh, profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is the wisdom of God, but yet the actual scriptures never filter into the actual real daily decisions that you're making, then you've got to ask some hard questions about your relationship with Jesus. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the reason he says that is because our minds need renewed. We don't have the kind of wisdom it takes to please God, that, that the fall of man affected every single part of our being, even the way that we think. And so our minds have to be renewed because they've been damaged by 
the flaw, fallen. So Jesus came to redeem us, not just from our sins, but from our own flawed thinking. And when we allow him to do that, then guess what? We're going to have different values. We're going to have different standards. We're going to have different desires. And we're going to go to different sources for wisdom, is what James is going to lean in here today. And, and the tension is that our pride tells us we have all the wisdom that we need. We have all the wisdom that we need. Our way of viewing things is right. Our, the way that we value, the things that we value is the right way. And so let's see what James teaches us in regarding these two ways to live. So let's pick up the text in James chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 13 down through verse 18 this morning. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. In the Greek, those three words mean not good. Okay? Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so what James is doing here is painting an incredibly vivid, clear picture about the stark contrast of what it looks like to receive and apply and live out of godly wisdom as opposed to only living out of earthly wisdom. The wisdom that makes sense to you, the wisdom that culture says, this is what's valuable, this is the way you should view things. And it could not be a more stark contrast of what God's people believe is true, the world says is false. And in the economy of God, what the world says is valuable, Christians should say those things have no eternal value. Uh, Pastor Stam Sam Storms put it this way. He said, the world and the church tell two entirely different and utterly contrary stories about the nature of reality, the meaning of life, where truth and goodness may be found, and what the ultimate destiny of mankind will be. And so what James is saying to that comment, he says, amen. There could not be a greater trash, a contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that comes down from above or comes from God. And so he starts off asking a very important question in verse 13 when he says this, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, without thinking too deeply about this, when you think of a wise person, what comes to mind other than me? Just anybody, all right? What when you think of a wise person, you say, oh, the, I'm looking for a wise person. What would come to mind? Would you look for the people in the room whose hair's a little lighter than the other people? Right? They've got some gray hair, and so, so they've lived longer, and so therefore uh, they, they have more wisdom through their accumulated experience, and while experience should lead to wisdom, that's not always the case, is it? We all know people who have died foolish. We have a phrase in our culture that says this, there is no fool like an old fool, a person who never gets it right, never learns from mistakes, their whole life is filled with a foolishness. And so maybe you would go to that person and maybe they would have some wisdom, but, but not always. Maybe you'd go to the person who has the most formal education. That person's got a PhD or they got some advanced 
master's degree, and, and they may be brilliant and intellectual, but here's the reality. Uh, being intellectual and being wise are not the same thing. Being educated and being wise are not the same thing. I would argue that based on my observations, Steve Jobs, the late Steve Jobs, was a brilliant mind. A brilliant mind. But I would also argue that when you look at how his life played out, he lacked wisdom in how to relate to God and to other people. Read the story of his relationships and the trail of tears that it left. So you can be brilliant and educated and still lack wisdom. And so, uh, what, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and to follow the best course of action based on the knowledge and understanding that you have. Now, if you're trying to write all that down, I'm going to give you a, a shorter one here in just a second. Wisdom's taking all of your experiences, all of your knowledge, all of the advice. Am I cutting out back there? When you're preaching powerful, you'll blow the microphone out. Amen? All of, all of these things we've received through reading and listening and counseling from other people and applying that in the everyday decisions that we make. Simply put, wisdom is knowledge applied. That's what wisdom is. It is knowledge that you gain from education or experience or the counsel of other people or teaching or those things. And it's applying that consistently in the real life that you are living. One commentator said this. He said, wisdom ultimately is a lifestyle. You know what that means? That if you look at a person and their life is a disaster, you cannot look at that person and say, they are incredibly wise. They could be educated they could be intelligent. They could have lived a long life. But when you look at their life and how it's played out, you could not ascribe wisdom to them as a descriptor because wisdom ultimately is a lifestyle. It's not what you know. It's what you live is what wisdom is. And so James is going to paint a picture of two contrasts. You guys see me? Everybody come around wave at the booth. Would you just wave back there? Yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot, so... Uh, wisdom is a lifestyle. So what do we see in the book of James here, okay? So the first truth we see in James chapter 3 is this, is that the fool does not consult God in their choices. The fool does not consult God. They just say, hey, I've got all the intellect that I need. I've got all the experience that I need. I've got all the wisdom, everything I should ever need. I personally have the resources to make wise choices in my life, and so therefore, they never directly consult God. Just bring me a handheld. Yeah, can you just bring me a handheld microphone? Can you do that? I'm about to get turned up, amen, with a handheld. And so there's so many parallels between this passage and the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, the book of Proverbs, if you've ever read it and studied, is a contrast between a life of wisdom and a life of folly. No one even sees you. Just keep going. Yeah, no one even knows you're up here, all right? So the book of Proverbs is this huge contrast. Here's the life of wisdom. Here's the life of folly. And it could not paint a bigger picture. And there's so many parallels between the book of Proverbs and this passage here in James chapter 3. And what I love about James chapter 3 is that he just doesn't paint the contrast, although he does that. He gives us the source of wisdom or foolishness. Look back at verse 15 about the source of foolish living. Verse 15, I can't do that at once. Can you guys hear me? Woo! Verse 15, I don't know what it is when I get a mic in my hand. Man, all right. 
The world doesn't count wisdom or consult God on their choices. In verse 15, he gives a source of that. Look at what he says in verse 15. He said, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. One commentator digging the meaning of verse 15 describes these three words and a little lengthy, but it's so good. Listen to what he says. This type of wisdom, which is earthly wisdom, which is the opposite of wisdom, it is limited to the present material world by time and space. So in other words, every ounce of wisdom I have can be accumulated by what's here available to me on the earth. He says, by definition, it's restricted to things that man can theorize, discover, or accomplish by himself. It has no place for the things of God. It has no place for God himself. It makes no place for spiritual truth or illumination. It is a closed system of man's own making and choosing under satanic prompting. He says, as James has noted, this wisdom is motivated by pride and selfish ambition, arrogance, self-centeredness, self-interest. It spawns a society whose watchwords are, listen to this, do your own thing, have it your way, look out for number one. He says it pervades philosophy, education, politics, economics, sociology, psychology, and every other dimension and aspect of contemporary human life. And so in other words, the foolish person values their opinion and perspective over God's. They reject the idea that pride on the inside and the devil on the outside could ever cloud their wisdom. They reject the Bible truth from Jeremiah 17, 9 that says, we all have wicked and deceitful hearts. And when a person has that mindset, there's little desire to ever consult the Bible. There's little desire to seek wisdom in prayer. There's little desire to pursue intimacy with Jesus with the hopes that he could transform the affections of your deceitful heart so that you can live in a wise way that honors Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you what that sounds like. In real life, when a person lives that way, here's what a professing Christian will say. I know what the Bible says, but can I just tell you that over the last 21 years of pastoring people, I've had that said to me a time or 200. Oh, pastor, I, I know what the Bible says, but. And in that moment, listen, in a very gentle, shepherding way, I just want to reach across and grab them like a throat punch. Amen? What do you mean you know what the Bible says, but? Here, here's what they're really saying. I know that God has wisdom on this subject, but you know what I really trust? I really trust my own counsel. I really trust the affections of my own heart. I really trust this source of wisdom because, after all, I saw it on TikTok, so I know it has to be true. I know what the Bible says, but. And a non-Christian never references the Bible. Why would they? But a professing Christian living foolishly never filters the opinions through the lens of Scripture. They profess to be Christians, but live like practical atheists. Now, if you're listening, say amen. Here is a key question for everybody in the room, including me. The key question is this. Do your daily decisions ever get filtered through Scripture? When you go up in, in the morning and you go to work, 
the type of employee that you are, the way that you relate to your boss, is it ever driven by Scripture? The relationships that you have with your family, with your extended family, with your neighbors, is that ever motivated by Scripture? The way that when you hear something on the news about a pro-life issue or an immigrant or refugee issue, does your opinion get formed by Scripture or by your political affiliation? The way that you handle your money on a daily basis, does the scripture ever come into play when you're doing that? If not, guess what? What you're telling God is this, I trust my own counsel. And what he says here in verse 15 is not flattering, is it? He says it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Lean not unto your own understanding. Here's what that means in the Cunningham paraphrase. Don't consult with yourself. Turn and tell your neighbor this morning as a word of encouragement, you're not that smart. Would you just tell them? Just Some of you are scared. I get it. You're riding home with them. I totally understand, right? That's what he's saying. He said we're all deceived by our hearts. And when we think we have all the wisdom that we need, we'll never go to God for wisdom. And he says that's motivated by unspiritual, earthly, and even demonic influences. Do our daily decisions ever get filtered through Scripture? I don't know what it is about a handheld mic. It makes me sweat. (laughs) Now, do you know what we said earlier? That wisdom is a lifestyle, right? It's not what you know. It's what you actually live Guess what? So is foolishness. And the challenging thing about uh, the aspects of a fool is that they are blind to their foolishness. You can try to give a foolish person wise counsel. You know what they'll say? That's not true. You can try and speak truth in your life. That's not true of me. Here's the good news. James paints a picture of the characteristics of a person who lacks wisdom. And so if they're blind... To their foolishness, James says, hey, here's some indicators, not not the whole list, but here are some indicators of a person whose life is, is marked by foolishness. Look back at verse 15, or 14. In verse 14, he says this, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false To the truth. What does he mean by false to the truth? Quit lying to yourself. That's what he means. He's saying if your life is marked by bitterness, if your life is marked by jealousy, if your life is marked by selfishness, and you think, hey, I'm not a foolish person, then what he's saying in verse 14 is, in fact, you're lying to yourself. As a matter of fact, what he's saying is these are the exact attributes of a foolish person. He says, you're not getting your wisdom from God. Now, we all fight bitterness. We all fight jealousness. We all fight envy. We all fight selfishness. But what he's describing is this person, the fool, their life is dominated by those things. That's why we say all the time, we don't need Jesus just to rescue us from hell. We need Jesus to rescue us from ourselves. The foolish person's life is dominated by those things. 
They've got all kinds of self-justification. Well, yes, I struggle with bitterness, but you would too if fill in the blank. Or yes, I struggle with jealousy. Or yes, I struggle with envy or those kinds of things. And, and it dominates their lives. They're frustrated at how another person seems to have more resources or influence or they made a name for themselves or they've advanced further in their career or their kids are doing better or they're in a different friend group, fill in the blank, all the above. Side note, if your life is dominated by envy and James chapter 1 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, then you're not really mad at your friend, you're envious, you're mad at God and just taking it out on your friend. And he says, hey, if that's your life, then you've got to get honest. The wisdom that you have is not coming from God. It is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic in influence. And James even paints a picture of how those things play out in real life. Look at verse 16. This is so insightful. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, listen to this, there will be, not might be, not could be, there will be, you list two things, disorder and every evil practice. The word and there is there on purpose. It's separating two different truths. The two truths are disorder and every evil practice. Let me make this as plain as I can. A person who does not go to God for wisdom on a consistent basis and their life is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition they will have a life dominated by instability, disorder, and sin, every evil practice. Do you know what the foolish person says when their life is dominated by instability and sinful patterns? You know what they say? I just can't seem to catch a break. Yes, my life is unstable and it has been, but I, I just have the worst luck. Or when the consequence of their sin or evil practices, using the language of verse 16, catches up with them, they'll often say, God, God's never done anything to help me. God's never been there for me. Now, in our fallen world, I want you to hear this. In our fallen world, can a person do the right things and still experience suffering 100% true? That is one of the downfalls of living in a world cursed by, by sin. But here's what he's getting at. If you're the only common denominator in all the dysfunction in your life, it might be you. That's what he's saying. Listen, if you've gotten terminated from the last four jobs you had, there's a good chance you didn't have four terrible bosses in a row. If every single relationship through the course of your life ends in flames... There's a chance that you're not a jerk magnet. If over and over you're the only common denominator, what he's saying is it might be you. If your life is marked by instability and patterns of sin, verse 16, then what he's saying is you're not getting wisdom from God, verse 14. Churches can get caught up in this by earthly thinking. We just had the right set of strategies, then somehow we could produce fruit. If we just mirrored all these business principles, then somehow we'd become an effective organization. Listen, there's nothing wrong with good strategy to organize us, but at the end of the day, it's prayer and the Word of God that energizes the church. That's it. 
That's all we have is prayer and the Word of God. I told you earlier, there's a lot of parallel between the book of Proverbs and this passage here in James chapter 3. And so uh, let me list to some of the traits of a fool from the book of Proverbs. Listen to these. Uh, first off, a fool is stubborn. The word translated 49 times in the book of Proverbs, our English word fool, it is the Hebrew word kasil, and it literally means thickness. Now, what does it mean? It means this person is thick-headed. No one can tell them anything, so they just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. And again, the foolish person says, it's not me, it's the world's set against me. Right? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens. Proverbs says not only is a fool stubborn, a fool is quick to fight. If your life is dominated by conflict with other people, you're living foolishly. Your wisdom is not coming from God. Listen to these verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 18.6, a fool's lips bring strife and his mouth calls for blows. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. And so fools stubborn, they constantly find themselves fighting with other people and in conflict. Here's the third thing Proverbs says, a fool has loose lips. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 3, in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, when there are many words, talk, 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 transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace, when he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. And I go on and on and on and on and on. But at the end of the day, the foolish person never consults God. And it shows up in their life, and they blame everyone else but them and their lack of wisdom because they never go to God. So the second truth I want you to see, and just in case someone might be deceived in thinking we're rocket science scientists, here's the second truth. A wise person consistently consults God. You probably could have guessed that one, right? When he says in this passage that the wisdom is from above or on high, that that's always a reference to God. God is the source of wise living for the wise person. This is the person who has set their mind on things above, to quote Scripture. So what does that person's life look like? Well, let's let the text speak for itself. Go back to verse 13. In verse 13, what's it say? Who is wise and understanding among you? And then he gives the answer. Look at the answer. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And so what's he saying? He's saying that the wise person has a trail of good conduct. He's saying the wise person has a life that reflects their living with wisdom. And so if your life is a series of broken relationships and instability and bad sinful conduct, he says that is a clear marker that you are not getting your wisdom from God. You're getting it from somewhere else, verse 14 and 15. But he says the wise person who lives in such a way and gets their wisdom from God, their life is marked by 
good conduct. And that good works flow from a relationship with Jesus. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. This person is uh, living with godly wisdom. They're living above reproach. Their life is not marked by joyless obedience. It's marked by a righteous type of living that's attractive to others as a general rule of thumb. Now, he also gives very specifics. I want you to listen. In general, the wise person, their life of good conduct plays out before everyone else. But then he gives some specifics about a wise person. This is not all the Bible teaches, but here's some the Bible teaches. Look at verse 17. He says, but the wisdom from above. So the person who's getting wisdom from God. And then th this couldn't be any more practical. He says, this is what their life looks like. What's he say? It is pure. It is peaceable. It is gentle. It is open to reason. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It is impartial and sincere. Let's look at just a few of those briefly for the sake of time. First off, he says it's pure. What does it mean? This is a person who's living with spiritual integrity. This is a person who's not living in such a way that if the, everyone around them knew the truth about them, they would be humiliated and embarrassed. This is a person whose life matches their convictions. A person who's living with spiritual integrity is a person who is wise. And you know why that is? How foolish is it to agree intellectually with truth to believe that God is for us and is protecting us with his wisdom and then to live totally contrary to all those things you said amen to. So he says the wise person's life is pure, there's spiritual integrity. Secondly, he says it's peaceable. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Not peace wishers, peace hopers, peace agreeers, peace makers, those who pursue reconciliation, which is a total contrast. Remember what he said about the person who's foolish in book of Proverbs? They're always in conflict with someone else. This is a person who's more concerned about being reconciled than about being right. He says they're pure, they're peaceable. Let's look at one more. He says they are gentle and open to reason. It's a person who's meek, not weak. Do you know that meekness is not the same as weakness? Weakness is just that. It's weakness. Meekness is controlled strength. It is the picture of Jesus who Scripture describes as gentle and lowly. Simply put, this is a person who is uh, not all the time disagreeable with everyone around them. You ever met a person that on every single issue, their default position is that I'm right and the whole world is wrong. Aren't they fun? He says, hey, the wise person, they are gentle and open to reason. Let me just put it as plain as I can. They're not difficult to deal with. How do you know you're getting your wisdom from above? Pure and peaceable. We could go on for the sake of time. We can't, full of mercy, find a person who's merciful to other people. I'll show you a person who's getting their wisdom from above. Find a person who's harsh to other people. I'll show a person getting their wisdom from below. Now, I think we, what we agree here, and we're almost out of time, is that no one, no one in the room wants to be a fool. 
right? I'm assuming you got up early and got dressed and threatened your kids on the way to church because you want a little wisdom, right? So here's the big question. How can we get wisdom? Well, I can't say it any better than an article that I read this week, so I want to give credit where credit is due. This article is from John Piper. And so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take the credit for the article, but I'm going to take the liberty to give you the cliff notes this morning, all right? So Piper lists out a few things here to how a person might grow in wisdom. So let's walk through these pretty quick. First off, you should desire it with all your might. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 8 says, Prize her, wisdom personified there, her, which by the way, you ever notice in the book of Proverbs, when it describes wisdom personified, it's always a woman. Take note of that. Prize her highly, and she, wisdom, will exalt you. She will honor you for your embrace. Prize her highly. Do you deeply desire wisdom is what he's asking. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 4 is my favorite verse about pursuing wisdom. Proverbs 2, 4 says this. Seek it, wisdom, seek it like silver. Search for it like a hidden treasure. If I told you this morning that, hey, when you leave today, we've painted an X in the parking lot. And under that X is a hundred million dollars worth of gold. Would you just drive by that thing? No, I would knock down an old lady to dig it up. Amen? <laughs> I give it all to Jesus. I just want to share that. Or at least the majority. I'm going to keep a little for myself, right? You know what he's saying? He said wisdom is more valuable than precious stones and rubies, what he says in one place in Proverbs. It is the most valuable thing you ever try and dig up. So one, you've got to desire it. Two, since wisdom's found the word of God, we've got to apply ourselves to study and meditating and memorizing the word of God. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You don't want to be a simpleton or a fool. Devote yourself to the study of the Word of God because what does he say in, in the psalm there? He says it takes simple people and makes them wise. And I would also commend you, glean from the wisdom of Bible teachers of the last 2,000 years of church history, read theology books, read apologetic books, read books on biblical counseling, all those things, and avail yourself to the wisdom of 2,000 years of teaching in church history. So number three we should do to get wisdom is to pray. Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, here's what it said of Solomon, because you've asked this for wisdom and have not asked for yourself long life or riches the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold now, I do according to your word. Daniel chapter 2, verse 30 to you, O God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and strength. Colossians 1.9, Paul prays that the churches might have spiritual wisdom. Ephesians 1, that there might be a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Finally, James says way back in chapter 1, verse 5, Hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it what? Generously. And so you've got to pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. Fourth, and this one's going to be a little startling, all right? Think frequently of your death. Here's a happy note, isn't it? Thank you, Brad Osteen, for that encouraging word. 
this morning. Now, why would I say that? Because that's what the Bible says. Listen to Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that, so there's a cause and effect, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Now, why does the Bible say that? Because here's what he's saying. When you live with an eternal perspective, all of a sudden what's really important, you're going to know, and what's not that important, what's temporal, you're going to know don't put that much time and energy and effort into that. Finally, this one's the best, in getting wisdom, you have to get Jesus. He said to the people's day, the queen of the south will arise at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, the wisest man who's ever lived, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12. Jesus is the wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians chapter 2. And so the command to get wisdom is a command to get Jesus. And in him are all the treasures. He is the wisdom of God, Scripture says. Now, what's the payoff? We're almost done. What's the payoff? Because listen, it's a lot of hard work. You know what's easy? Being a fool. Pursuing all these things is hard. So what's the payoff? Go back to verse 18, then we're done. Go back to verse 18. What's he say? And, so here's the conclusion, and what will happen if I live with wisdom, wisdom from above, verse 14, 15, or 15, 16, 17, and verse 18, here's the conclusion, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's the fruit of pursuing wisdom? A harvest of Righteousness. Righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God. It's the same idea from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the fear of the Lord? To live in such a way that will be unrighteous before the Lord's eyes. Now, maybe you're here and you're not convinced it's worth the effort. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. Your life is going to be filled with heartache. And that's not me speaking. That's the word of God. Listen to what the Bible says. The way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the person who has no fear of doing what's right in the eyes of God is hard. Is what the Bible says. And as your pastors, we do not want that for you. And it all starts with coming to Jesus. Would you bow your heads this morning? With your head bowed this morning, the first question I want to ask you is simply this. Have you laid a hold of the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ? When you realize how much he loves you, that he died on the cross as payment for your sins, there's not a wiser choice you can make than to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You will never have wisdom if you don't have Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. And so if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never been saved, you're not sure if you've done that, would you right now, right in your seat, would you just pray and receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you just pray right now and surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, confessing your sins, 
repenting of them, turning away from them, and receive Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Second question I want to ask is this. For those of you who are saved, been saved a long time, I want to ask you this question. As we've taught the scriptures this morning, has the Spirit of God leaned into your life and exposed patterns of foolishness, envy, bitterness, conflict, lack of mercy, jealousness? If that's you today and you're here and you're under conviction, here's what I want you to understand. That conviction is God's mercy made tangible in your life. It is the Holy Spirit leaning into your life saying, I love you too much to continue to let you go your own way. And so that's you right now. Would you just confess that? Would you just say, Lord, help me to pursue your wisdom in every arena. Help me to acknowledge that the instability in my life it's because I've not been pursuing your wisdom. Would you just pray right now, Lord, whatever it is in my life, whatever decisions are in front of me, whatever relationships are around me, Lord, whatever it is, I trust you. And by faith, by faith, I'm laying hold of your wisdom from above. Father, we're grateful. Now that you forgive us of our sins. But God, in the real life that we're living, you've given us everything we need for life and godliness on this earth. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live by faith, that even when obeying Scripture doesn't seem like it's going to work out well, that, Lord, by faith, we would choose to live by your wisdom. And God, as we do, and our lives become attractive to other people, may the first thing out of our mouths when they notice be this, Jesus alone has given me the wisdom of God. May we use our wisdom that's attractive to others to glorify Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.